Hi everyone, this is Edit May right here. I just want to give you listeners an advance apology for my audio quality in this episode. Please bear with us as we are trying something new. But regardless, I think this is a great and interesting episode. And with that being said, here is your disclaimer. In no ways we are any experts in these topics. We're unfiltered, but we challenge our mindsets to become better people. We're definitely not role models by any means, but we hope you all can resonate with us. I just want to say thank you you guys for sticking with us and happy 2021. This is Patty. This is May. And this is Nick. And welcome to another episode of More Than Just Boba. You can listen to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Anchor Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate us five stars, and follow us on Instagram at More Than Just Boba for some updates. So how's everybody doing? Like, I haven't seen you ladies in a while now. I've just been chilling and doing hit a lot because of quarantine. What about you guys? I miss you guys. I know. Um, so I fucking got infected by Miss Rona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, my dad works in the restaurant industry, so he got exposed um, to someone and then brought it back home and then... Yeah, me and my family all have COVID now, which is why we're not recording in person. Um, we're actually recording through Zoom right now. So it's been kind of rough. Um, I've been home for the past like week-ish, um, just quarantining, social distancing, making sure that we're kind of doing our part and not only recovering, but not spreading the virus as well. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I'm glad that you're doing okay, Patty, because that shit was really scary. I know. I'm I'm out here fighting for my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> but on my end, I've been super fucking stressed lately. It's like at the uh, when the new year started, I kind of kicked up my studying because um, I'm preparing to apply for medical school. So I've been studying for the MCAT. And just that journey of having to study and working over 40 hours a week and trying to find that balance has been really difficult for me. But yeah, so like, I think something new that we're going to try now in the beginning of all of our podcast episodes, after, you know, giving a little check-in on how we're doing, we want to bring in some news and talk about what's going on in the world. So, you know, uh, besides the fact that we've been going through it, uh, in all of our personal lives, there's been a lot of shit going down in the world as well. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is the Mahjong incident. Do you girls know about that? Yeah, definitely. I think like the start of 2021 has been a shit show. Yes. Yeah. Um, so for people who don't know, the Mahjong incident is um, these group of three um, white girls from Texas who decided that it would be a good idea to launch a a mahjong tile company um but instead of selling your typical mahjong tiles they've completely rebranded the artwork and kind of um cultural nuances between behind the mahjong tiles and put like flower like flowers or like literally like sacks of flour like baking flour on the tiles like complete like art that's just not like relevant to the culture or the game um and there's been a lot of outrage in for one um cultural appropriation and then like whitewashing the game as well and capitalizing off of another ethnicity's culture essentially yeah like terms like putting in simpler terms they basically gentrified the game 
Yeah. <laughs> they colonized it. Right. I think my biggest issue with what happened was the language that they used when they're trying to advertise the game, even on their website. They're mentioning it as something that they wanted to uh, like kind of update and like they felt that it was hard to understand when these Mahjong t- tiles are crafted by hand and it has like thousands of years of significance and for them to w- put a whoopee cushion on one of the tiles and try to sell it off to people to make it more, I guess, easier to see and easier to play. That is something that like, I don't know, it's, it's just pretty culturally insensitive on my end but in the same respect when i saw this issue happening a part of me was like it's nothing new you know yeah and like one of um my friends actually she did some digging and she found out that like the owners of this company so not only were they like appropriating and gentrifying another culture but they were funneling money into a school organization that supported segregation (laughs) within (laughs) their school district yeah, so the tea on that is that the Mahjong Company, they held a fundraiser for this um, no, like nonprofit um, schooling organization in their um, Texas like district. Um, and they live in one of like the third richest um, district in Texas, actually. And that um, organization has actually been on the news for trying to prevent low income and students of color from entering their school district in their specific schools. So not only do you have them colonizing another person's culture, you also have them gatekeeping education from students of color and low-income students in their communities. So it's like you you can't just be shitty in one respect. You have to be shitty and just a horrible person all around. Like, pick a fucking struggle, Karen. Yeah, and the way that they handled the backlash after by just disabling their comments on Instagram, like, bro, are you kidding me? Like, I think in other news, we should talk about the Capitol Sage as well. Yeah, this, the Capitol Siege win. Oh. I. I think that it was such a slap in the face with what has happened uh, in in the Capitol, like with the, I guess these Trump supporters or these white supremacists literally are terrorists breaking into the Capitol and attacking politicians where, and they didn't even, they got like a slap on the wrist. Whereas it's not, it's literally, we had a whole black lives, human rights movement a couple months ago, not even within a year. Yeah, definitely like seeing how, the reactions of the media and people and government officials on the siege, which, first of all, was violent and extremely volatile. It wasn't like a peaceful protest or a peaceful march. Let's get that straight. You had people breaking into federal property, breaking into the House and Senate chambers, breaking into the personal offices of government officials, with weapons they found pipe bombs along the capital as well so this was a planned insurrection this was a planned riot this was a planned attack on our democracy and our capital and you have people making excuses for what happened yeah i think it's important that we all check in with our communities or other friends or family that have been affected by this issue And just to put out a disclaimer, you know, with that being said, 
this is our live reaction to what's going on. And if there's any new information that's happening regarding this issue, we would love to get a bunch of feedback. So we stay updated and we still continue doing our research to understand what's going on in the world today. On a lighter note, in this episode today, we're going to be talking about the Asian American rave scene and just how many times all three of us have simped over Love is Gone by Slander. While we know that everybody listening might not enjoy bebop music, we want to explore the cultural nuances and the impact that the rave culture has had on the Asian American community. What do y'all actually like about raving? I can I can go first. Okay, I'm not gonna lie, guys. I fucking did not understand the hype of raving at first. Um, I remember Patty was like, "Guys, I want to go," and I was like, "We were just shitting on her so badly." <laughs> I know. She was playing Yellow Claw, and we were like, "What?" what the fuck and she was like i like this song we're like what the fuck <laughs> Good ass, yeah. yeah i'm not gonna lie i i just didn't understand the hype of it it wasn't until we studied abroad in hong kong where like i was like wow i really like it I see why people do it and um i guess like to segue to answer your question is like what i like about raving is like i think plur culture is very very cool um i think it's like you know player is all always about good vibes even though like in reality everything is not always about good vibes like because good vibe um good vibes community it can be really toxic good vibes only that saying so i think but it's just like being in a rave it's like literally in a community where like music is blasting and your body is shaking and i i don't know i loved it and the community is great yeah like when patty said in junior year guys like i kind of want to go to a rave i was like what the fuck is this abg ass trying to do all this shit right now i was like what the fuck is that ain't nobody listening to this fucking beatbox like electronic music and like so when patty when patty said that i was like okay and then may and patty came back from hong kong they're like guys we have to go (laughs) yo patty dragged me into it and then i was like I'm dragging everybody into I know. <laughs> May literally like, oh. forced our entire friend group to come with us. Yeah, dead ass. Like, you guys came back from Hong Kong and you're like, we have to go. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Let me try this out. And I fucking fell in love with it too. <laughs> <laughs> and like, for me, it's like the music was okay at first, but I love the scene because, you know, like what May said, like the community was awesome. Like, nobody pushes you around. Everybody like gives you water. Like, and like the environment was just so safe and welcoming for me that I could be 100% who I was and I never felt judged for it. Same, like I would say that I really enjoyed the music at first, which is what like piqued my interest in it initially. Um, I just never really hung out with people that were interested in EDM or raving until, you know, y'all finally got on and enjoyed it. Um, but I really enjoyed raving and I actually never raved until I started with you guys. And I'm so, so happy that like I was able to start my like quote unquote raving journey with like my best friends um, because I really enjoyed the community aspect of it like being able to bond and just share this experience with like some of your best friends and also know that like everyone that you're going into that rave with is committed to not only taking care of each other but making sure that you have just as good of a time as they're having as well and that's what I love right yeah exactly and just entering the rave culture there's so many little details that you start picking up like different behaviors in raves too so uh people say that there's different types of ravers out there so what type of ravers are you ladies i really like to stand alone and vibe by myself as long as like one of you guys are with me or near me you know yeah i know you're just chilling you literally are just like in another dimension just like enjoying the music (laughs) like 
No, yeah, this this bitch, she literally just stands there and then watches the stage, and then we just come by and like stay here, stay there by her side. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh my god, what about you guys? Um, I would say I'm probably like the mom of the group, so like I always pack everything in my fanny pack, like freaking candy, gum, eye drops, chopstick, like everything that you need, I have it. No, Patty, be like gum. Can be like water? I got it. Fan. Oh, I always bring my trusty fan too, in case anyone ever gets hot. Yeah, when your fan dies, you'd be like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. I know. Uh, she's definitely the rave mom like i'm uh for me i I do some whack-ass shit and i just talk way too much (laughs) and we'll just keep it at that nick allowed me to say this so nick is the type of raver like he'll he'll like come up to us randomly and he'll be like babe how you doing like (laughs) You know, we're just chilling, vibing. He's like, come and um, do some hug exercise, breathing exercise with me. He goes, one, now hold it in. And then, like, he keeps doing it till 10 seconds. And then for the last 10, for the last 10 seconds, he'll be like, just hold it, hold it, hold it. And breathe. <laughs> Yo, we get caught up in the moment. And sometimes I'm just like, you know, we just need to step back and breathe. <laughs> A lot of sensory overload is happening in the, in the environment. Okay, now we know what kind of ravers we are. So what is our favorite shows, like our artists is like, what gets us moving and grooving? For me, um, Griffin has a really special place in my heart. Um, that was like the first time I actually went in a rave in Boston with all of y'all. And then Slander was probably like the best experience I've had. It was like the, the show that they put was crazy. Agree. I think we all kind of have similar tastes in the artists and shows that we go to. Um, Izu has a special place in my heart. I went like we were we had an amazing host, our friend Miviet, that kind of like took us under his wing and like brought us to our first festival and just really took care of us. Um, I went with May in 2019, and that was such a good festival. Um, same thing, Love Slander, Seven Lions, um, Dabin and elenium oral grind i really want to see um excision and porter in the future as well yeah i definitely want to see excision like really badly one day but yeah maybe it was so fucking helpful like if you're listening to this thank you so much for um that day like those three past two days for patty and i i think my favorite um artist is artist is dabin i remember seeing him like he was opening for elenium i was like and he wasn't even that big yet like he wasn't really really that big but i loved him and then Seven Lions, no doubt, like this man, this man, a thruple man is doing, vibing <laughs> so well. He's doing that's really us. well. Sis, that's us. <laughs> that's us. That's really us. Um, and I really want to see Narco. So we all know each other's favorite DJs. We have similar music tastes, honestly. But we all know that raving is really, really fucking huge in the Asian American community. It doesn't matter where, like even in Hong Kong, we it was so fucking big. It was it was mm-hmm. like EDC China, but like we need to know like where rave originally um, came from. Before raving became a big thing, house music was first developed in predominantly gay black clubs in Chicago in Chicago in the 1980s, which provided a safe space, especially for club goers facing the dual oppression of racism and homophobia and it was actually a lot of black americans who started house music and it kind of transitioned to like uh, a lot of asian americans and caucasians taking over 
which is so interesting. Yeah, essentially the intersectionality of queerness and race is what created EDM and club culture. It was these communities that were pushed underground to have the cultural experiences that they built until it was raised above ground by social norms being whiteness and heterosexuals. And what we know of EDM now comes from the evolution of music taste from the gay and black community, which started with disco and then shifted to house music and all the subgenres that we see now. And something that I, this was something that was brand new to me when we were doing this research, because I always questioned why I felt so safe in these environments and why I, as a gay man, like I would be able to express myself fully and authentically. And it makes sense because EDM was literally founded by gay people. And that's the reason why I think there's such an open and um, safe, like an understanding kind of vibe that comes with uh, raving as well. And then another huge part of rave culture is PLUR. So PLUR stands for Peace, Love, Unity, and Respect. And that kind of um, movement is was a combination of ideas that were part of the hippie peace movement um, and Black and hip-hop culture um, movement as well. Um, the term kind of dated back to the early 1990s rave scene and now it's just super common um what the rave scene now where people are like oh raving is all about like plur like peace love unity respect um and then another huge part of raving and the rave culture is candy so candy bracelets are kind of like brightly colored handmade bracelets um made from beads or elastics um there's different variations as well like you can make like necklaces out of it you can make um, larger bracelets called cuffs out of it um, but these bracelets were actually first made and worn by drug dealers in the 1990s um, dealers would actually go into raves hiding um, illicit kind of <laughs> um, substances like ecstasy LSD on their candy bracelets wear like an arm full of like these bright candy um so that other ravers could identify them and buy some product um but that also kind of ties into the culture of drug use and raving that we're going to get into a little bit more on this episode um later on in this episode as well yeah the the thing that you you talked about for candy i did not know that at all i thought it was like the sweetest little thing like throwback into like when we we're seven years old making little bead bracelets but like the fact that it was tied into drugs that she got that had me shook <laughs> but so it's funny. like kind of fitting if you think about it. i mean we've all treated like like wholesome candy before like not like freaking making bracelets out of like drugs or whatever <laughs> <laughs> right you don't want to like just hand it hand drugs down so it's like i feel like the way they I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that um, a lot of drug dealers do plur before giving the candy out. And then so it's like some it looks less suspicious. And it's also about like good vibes because, you know, like, it's, yeah, you're bonding over drugs, chemically bonding at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Like you're kind of trading over like good vibes, like with that like plur. So there's like a movement where you do like peace, love, unity, like these hand signs when you trade candy. Um, and again, this is just like, you know, regular candy, like plastic beads. But like, I guess in the context of what we we're talking about could also be drugs as well. Um, you know, whatever floats your boat, whatever you, you know, do or take to have a good time. Um, but definitely it all goes into kind of just like spreading good vibes and also making sure that everyone has a good time um, at the rave as well. But it's also really smart too. So now that we've kind of gone through the origins of rave culture and obviously pay homage to um, the queer 
black and gay community that really started this amazing you know culture and music movement um we kind of now want to talk about how rape culture has impacted um modern day asian americans so i feel like um especially within the past couple of years the culture of raving and going to festivals have become so prominent in the asian american community like a lot of Asian Americans have picked this up as hobbies and this is what they do for fun like with their friends as well they go to shows they go to festivals they go to raves um, and that's how we've really bought and even for me like when I started listening to EDM music like I really you know wanted to be a part of that culture as well and um, I wanted to go to shows with me and my friend and that was able to happen but aside from that kind of the rise of rape culture in the Asian American community. Um, question I have for us is, do a lot of your friends rave? If so, what does the role of raving play in yours and your friends' lives? I think it's no doubt that in our friend group, um, Patty, you were really the one who kind of started this whole trend for us. Um, not gonna lie we all just didn't understand the hype of it and we just like we were like why why the fuck should we do that yeah y'all bullied me for listening to beat pop music we really did yeah we did. I ain't gonna lie we a bully but um it wasn't until studying abroad and we will always talk about studying abroad because I feel like studying abroad has changed us so much but um when I went to a rave with you Patty like I was like, holy shit, I could see why bitches do this shit. Like, this is actually kind of fun. Like, this beat pop music is kind of banging. It's like, this shit is a banger. And I think the reason why, like, raving is such, is so big in a lot of Asian American community, especially Asian American friend group, it's because, like, it's fun. It's a great bonding experience. It's like, we're not gonna lie like till this day even though we're we're not raving right now we're we don't have any intentions to go any underground raves right now because of a pandemic we are in the middle of a panini press right now <laughs> <laughs> we still talk about great shows till this day that is something we still talk about and i think that's a lot for a lot of friend groups as well yeah exactly so how do you think, you know, we, we see how raving has impacted our friendship and our friend group, but how do you think rave culture has impacted the Asian American community at large since it's becoming such uh, a popular like pastime and an activity that's so deeply uh, ingrained now in Asian American culture? Yeah, I think it's super interesting that there's kind of become like a subgenre of um, Asian ravers like kind of like the group subtle Asian ravers has become a huge thing but even then like I find that there's been like even just like stereotypes that have grown on Asian ravers because that community has been growing and has been so prominent like for example the stereotype of like the Asian rave train I've seen like memes on that um on the internet of like um, Asian rave groups always go in a huge group and we do like this Asian rave train to cut through like crowds and stuff and like people think that that's annoying but then it's also like I don't know like we just like to go in big groups I guess because that also fosters that sense of like a rave family and like a sense of community as well opposed to going with only just like one or two people. Yeah Patty so from my experience being in the raving scene I see mostly white and Asians in the in the rave scene and which is kind of strange because historically this was a culture that was developed by 
the LGBT community, especially Black LGBT members. And a question that I have is for you, you ladies, and your opinions, you know, to guess tying this back to the Mahjong incidents of colonizing culture, are we colonizing EDM culture? So yeah, I think that we are colonizing rave culture. So an example is 88 Rising capitalizes slash culture vultures off of Black culture. We can use Higher Brothers as an example, like how they claim to not know about trap music, but yet if you listen to their music, it is literally Chinese fucking trap music. We also have Rich Brian, whose stage name was so close to the N-word. And although Rich Brian has publicly apologized for this, I think 88 Rising should have known from the jump that that stage name was fucked up. So from these examples, I, this also goes to show how whites and Asians are colonizing race when race was originally a LGBTQ plus Black community. Yeah, May, I definitely do agree with you that in essence, we are colonizing and taking EDM culture. And like you said, it came from Black LGBT communities. And I guess something that I think about is representation and the concept of being a perpetual foreigner, despite, you know, being American. I see us as a POC community that is essentially erased as Asian Americans. And we don't have anything like any cultural aspect that we can latch onto. We have cultural exports that's, you know, becoming more uh, integrated into mainstream um, society like boba and K-pop. But we had nothing that we could say that was ours. So my question to you, you ladies is that, you know, is it okay that we do use EDM culture as a way for the Asian American community to say, you know, this is something that we do and this is something that we're um, deeply integrated in? I think that's a hard question to answer and it's not black and white. Like, obviously it's never okay to colonize and push people out of a certain like um, genre or community um, or even hobby or space that was created by them and for them. Um, does it happen? Yes. Do people take advantage of it, even in the spaces and places that weren't necessarily created for them? Yes. Um, I think that all also ties into just bigger institutional and societal issues that come from having um, a POC identity. But I think it's really interesting that you talk about how you know, our perpetual foreigner status kind of feeds into us colonizing EDM and rape culture. Um, I think that from some of the readings that we read on um, to prepare for this episode, it stated that Asian American youth status as perpetual foreigners and our desire for cultural belonging has motivated our participation in EDM festivals. And I can really see that because a lot of kind of other spaces if you think about let's say music or sports like um, you have people gatekeeping those spaces right like Asian Americans aren't seen as athletic or you have um, pressures from our own cultures that we Asian American parents typically don't want Asians to go into the creative field because they don't see it as sustainable or as um you know, something to be proud of. So you have all these other cultural and societal expectations that gatekeep us from other communities, other spaces, other hobbies, whereas EDM is built on being open and accepting. Is it right? I don't necessarily think so. Does it happen? Yes. Um, And again, it's not a black and white answer, but I will say that like as an Asian American myself, I can see that I've experienced that raving and rave culture and the idea of 
rave families has really tied into feelings of belonging and community and a sense of, you know, having some a place or a space where I do feel belonged in and I do feel like it's okay to let go. But also the model minority status that may be very internalized by some Asian Americans and, you know, partaking in rave culture acts as kind of like a counterculture movement for Asian Americans to break free from the pressures of family and the model minority status. You know, it's like, it's, as May said, kind of like an escape for us where we no longer have to think about our self-imposed pressures or family pressures to be successful. Whereas when we go to that rave, the only thing we really concentrate on is, you know, the feeling of love and community between ourselves and our friends and just being able to enjoy the music and the fucking light show. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree with you, Patty. It's like a really hard question to propose because I don't think that there is a good answer to that. Um, something that I think about too when I like you know when we when I went to my first rave and I saw Davin I was like so excited to see an Asian American on a stage like presented like there was just a a bunch of representation in the EDM community that I was just like whoa like he's he's one of us and he's in the creative space like just like for us for us Asian Americans to take a lot of black culture and capitalizing it we have let it we have let this slide for way too long I guess like it's like like, so for, like like an example with music again in the creative space Rich Brian his old stage name we let I we let that slide and we were like it's okay it's okay but like as long as you're not making fun of Asian American culture right I think like the the differences in black culture versus Asian culture like our, our historical like immigration patterns like they've been here and they've already were able to pioneer their own cultural aspects and we like moved in here and we had like no say I don't know like what the reason is why we don't really have um like maybe it's patty because with like like, you know Asians not being in the creative space but like we were already in like we I guess we never had a chance to um create our own Asian American culture because there's no space for us to do that and that's one of the reasons why I think Asian Americans do borrow from um from black culture or do just like take aspects of american or black culture yeah i mean it's hard and also it's hard for us to say if this is like good or not because it's like if you have people in you know the black community who genuinely like like you know some of the music that's coming out of their culture you know um the variations and that's like they're welcoming that right they're welcoming people inviting people into those spaces to take part in their culture and take part in that then you also have other black creatives or black community members who um don't think that it's okay and that is completely fine as well because that's their culture but then where do we get into where do we cross the line between gatekeeping and appropriation and appreciation as well so you two bring up a really great point of how like every this situation is just not black and white answer. You know, everything is based on situation from situation. But the thing is like, we're not black. We cannot speak for the black community. Yeah, I totally agree, May. We're like, there's no right or wrong answer. And especially like, we especially can't decide if there's a right or wrong answer because we're neither black and queer and, you know, our heritage didn't come up with, you know, rave culture as well. But I do think that, Um, when we're talking about like colonizing and appropriating culture there is a fine line of like where does that line of appreciating culture right where if we're attending raves are we appreciating it or are we appropriating it because we're pushing out you know um, 
people that this space and these places were originally meant for, you know, which is the Black and queer community. Um, but then also, like, just from kind of personal perception, I, it doesn't also sit right with me, the idea of gatekeeping as well, like thinking that like, just because you're not part of this community, you're not allowed in these spaces, you're not allowed in these hobbies, and you're not allowed to be in a place or in this community. So where do we draw the line in that, like, if we want to participate in it, we're not appropriating it, we're not colonizing it, and we are appreciating it. I think the most important part is recognizing the roots of where this culture comes from or anything you do, like any culture or like, I don't know, icon that whatever um, uh, aspect of culture that you partake in, you should know where it comes from. And then when you know where it's come from, you can kind of combat that issue of cultural appropriation. And to tie back to your point about gatekeeping, I also agree with you. It doesn't sit right for other people and other cultures to be and like to be uh, culturally reserved and not let other people invite into the culture as Asians like you know we um, I think it's important for us to also welcome other people in our culture because we're living in a more like globalized society where we it's inevitable for us to not intermingle or inter- intermix with other cultures and to be culturally reserved in that aspect I don't think it's fair to anybody else I think like an, an example for us Asian Americans that we can really talk about like this is not about raving but back to the Mahjong incident so like how are like how like yes like we're not saying like you can't play mahjong because you're not Chinese you you can't play mahjong because mm-hmm. you don't you don't know the characters mm-hmm. I feel like people are gladly or happy happily help happily to help you guys uh, help people how to understand and play the game but there's a difference between capitalizing and taking our fucking culture and making money off of it and changing it and t- telling us being the white man savior essentially saying like this is not um, quirky or um we're gonna make it and we're gonna also charge you three hundred dollars more exactly exactly me like so well said i think one thing that we all notice in rave cultures as well in especially in the asian american community is drug use in the rave culture so how is it used like should why are we even talking about drugs there's increasingly more research done on the asian american community because these issues are surfacing that the asian american community does struggle with drug addiction and a lot of that comes with raving um i think one of the most important facets that came out of this paper was that a lot of people asian americans who did partake in raving had to deal with the um did it to relieve from the stress that they're facing as an asian model uh, as, as part of the model minority myth and because of the stresses that they are presented by either family about doing well in school, having a certain career, not being in the creative space, they use drugs and they use raving as a way to escape. I mean, definitely. Like, um, I, I can say that we, all three of us, have seen with our own eyes how prevalent drug use can be in the Asian American raving community or even outside of raving, too. Like, there are a lot of Asian Americans that partake in drug use that's not necessarily talked about or left in out of broader conversations of studies right or just broader conversations of addiction and how that relates to the Asian American community great point Patty so I think that the takeaway if you do choose to partake in substance use is to do pre and post care you know specifically if you are um, partaking in psychoactive drugs in the realm of LSD or MDMA Um, I'm no medical expert but so please take this with a grain of salt kids but vitamins are essential in pre and post care because they aid in metabolizing the drug and cleaning up its toxic aftermath as what people call as the come down which is the most terrible part of um, you know substance use vitamin c is is essential 
you should you should definitely take that. And vitamin E is really important. Magnesium is a great supplement because that aids in muscle um, relaxation. Because a lot of people who do take uh, psychoactive drugs say that they get this jaw clenching because their muscles are so overactive. So that helps with that. And 5-HT is perfect for aftercare because it's because of like the irritable come down syndrome, depressive feelings people face after drug use. And that's a result of draining of serotonin in your body. Of course, the most important thing is to test your drugs. And there are chemical kits out there that will let you know whether or not whatever you have is pure or not. And most importantly, take proper doses. So understand like the limits and the um, dosing of the the drugs that you're taking in order to make sure that you have a positive trip or a positive role or whatever you're looking for um, that that night. A lot of what we know about these drugs and these negative feelings people have comes from the war on drugs. And there's a lot of junk science that was released to say that these drugs are terrible for you. And that's the reason why the government has regulated the way that it is now. There's research now that shows that psychedelic drugs like LSE and MDMA contribute to um, solving depression and just combating these uh, mental disorders that people do feel. So I think this is another important conversation that that needs to be said that, you know, um, despite what people have thought about drugs, they're not looked at the same way as long as you're using it properly and you're, you know, partaking in drugs the right way. I agree with you, Nick. Also, like, just to think about it, like, the reason why there was just a war on drugs is because how is America make going to make money at the end of the day? We have pharmaceuticals, like they need to make money. Healthcare systems, they need to make money. We are, and this is a whole new, another subject for us to talk about, but like America, we spend the most money on fucking healthcare, but yet we are the least healthiest bitches here. Important distinction, in no way do we like condone or you know are supporting or you know pushing people to do drugs and participate in drug culture but these are kind of our own personal opinions informed from our own research um at the end of the day we're all adults so do whatever you want to do in your life like there's no judgment but just make sure that you're being safe and the people around you are safe as well yeah, so that was a lot of, uh, you know, deep stuff that we got into regarding drug abuse. And, you know, what are your takeaways, your main takeaways on rape culture in general and, and its place in Asian American culture? As a response to our conversation, which I really enjoyed today, um, I think that it's no, you know, lie that Asian Americans have, you know, are taking up space in the rape culture that was curated by and for um black queer communities um and again it's always important to make sure you're educated and pay homage to that rape culture has played an extremely important part in fostering a sense of community and belonging and a sense of escapism for asian americans who may feel super you know bogged down by their own internal pressures or community and pressures as well to succeed but then as we talked about there is a dark side to that where you know there is the the fear and the possibility of drug use and drug abuse um, by partaking in rape culture and that's not to say that everyone who raves you know does drugs but 
it is a huge part of the culture and it's something to acknowledge as well. Yeah, and for me, you know, I rave primarily as a way to be in a safe space to fully express myself and be authentic to who I am without the fear of being judged or the fear of being attacked or anything like that, that uh, behaviors that, you know, would otherwise be unsafe for me as a gay Asian American in in the normal streets. But most importantly, you know, the reason why I get to even partake in this is because of the LGBT and Black community who have pioneered pioneered this space and allowed me to be a part of it. Um, So to kind of wrap up, a lot of these conversations were obviously informed by our own personal experiences, but we also did a lot of research and reading to make sure that, you know, we had the proper knowledge and did our due diligence as well. So we're going to cite our sources in our podcast description. Feel free to read through any of the articles that we've linked. Um, They're really good, super interesting, and very informative as well. Yeah, exactly. And just letting you guys know, if you are struggling with any type of addiction, whether it's drug or alcohol, um, addiction is addiction. Is addiction. Um, we've linked resources in our episode description as well. Addiction is very fucking hard. It is a mental thing, and you are not alone. In our future episodes, we want to add a segment where we interact with you guys and answer any questions you guys have. You can stay anonymous and ask any questions you have, and we would love to respond to them, whether it's your boyfriend issues, your girlfriend issues, school, work. I don't know. Your side is not treating you right. Like, we're right here. As fun, much fun and jokes, we want to help you guys. But yeah, so thank you for listening to another episode of More Than Just Boba. We're testing out this new remote recording format. So please let us know what y'all think and just sound off and give us some um, suggestions. You can contact us um, through email uh, at morethanjustboba at gmail.com or on Instagram at morethanjustboba. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.